This episode is airing on the two-year mark of the death of James Colstad. In his memory, we hope to get answers and to be able to put the man that did this to him behind bars for good. Micah, James, and Bailey, this one's for you. This is If I Go Missing a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. Bailey Despot. Micah Holsenbake and James Colstad all came from loving families raised in middle-class Bakersfield neighborhoods. For most of their lives, the three seemed to flourish. So, how did they end up in such grave danger? How did three friends all go missing or turn up murdered within a month of each other? Micah Holsenbake went missing, James Colstad was shot to death, and Bailey Despot was reportedly last seen by her boyfriend. In the months following, they came to be known as the Bakersfield Three. Their cases remain unsolved. The story of the Bakersfield Three is a story of three people who ran in the same circle of friends. On March 3rd, 2018, Micah Holsenbake was reported missing and authorities began looking into what happened to the 34-year-old. Micah's mom said his friends began to call around to his family to see if they had heard from him because his friends had not. Shortly after hearing this, Micah's mom filed a missing persons report. She told news outlets that she got the runaround from police when she tried to file the report. Then, on April 8th of that same year, Colstad was found shot and killed in his mother's car in southwest Bakersfield. There were no leads into who killed him. His mother, Diane Burns, said she found out her son's friend, Holsenbeck, had gone missing. And Burns said that Colstad was actually just helping Micah Holsenbeck move just weeks prior to the shooting and the disappearance. The two mothers then spoke about the similarities in their cases and then began approaching investigators together. The two mothers decided something was just not right. They believed their sons knew the same group of people and when the two began to compare notes they found a lot of similarities far too many similarities to be comfortable with. A couple of weeks later, another disappearance came into the picture. 20-year-old Bailey Despot was reported missing by her family. Her family says she was friends with Colstad and Holsenbeck. Jane Parent, Bailey's mom, has said that she hoped her daughter was alive, but her mama heart told her otherwise. A mother's intuition can often be a powerful thing. Bailey's mom says that her social media posting had stopped and she couldn't reach her daughter. In this day and time, when someone's social media goes radio silent, when it's otherwise normally very active, something's wrong. This is true. Her mother then began posting flyers of Bailey and information about the disappearance around the city. Shortly after that, Cheryl Holsenbeck saw the flyers and reached out to Parent. They then spoke about their children's cases. Holson Bates said when they learned about Bailey's disappearance, her husband said to her, that's related, I remember her, Micah knows her. The three mothers would end up forming the group known as the Bakersfield Three. 
they have worked with authorities to try and find leads and answers in each case, but have yet to find out what's actually happened to their children. A lot of times, the key to figuring out what happened to someone who has gone missing is by tracking down their known movements in the days, weeks, or hours before they were last seen. This case has three unique individuals, all with their own story. We're gonna start with Micah. Bailey Despot, Micah Holsenbake, and James Colstad all came from loving families raised in middle-class Bakersfield neighborhoods. For most of their lives, the three seemed to flourish. So how did they end up in such grave danger? How did three friends all go missing or turn up murdered within a month of each other? Micah Holsenbake went missing, James Colstad was shot to death, and Bailey Despot was reportedly last seen by her boyfriend. In the months following, they came to be known as the Bakersfield Three. Their cases remain unsolved. Micah Holsenbeck's life was chaotic in the days leading up to his disappearance. His mother, Cheryl Holsenbeck, said he talked a lot about being concerned that people were going to hurt him. He was afraid and felt like he needed to defend himself. He was last seen by an extended family member on March 23rd, crossing the intersection of Mount Vernon Avenue and Flower Street near Kern Medical. Cheryl Holsenbake said that they've heard so many stories, probably about at least 50 different scenarios. There have been some recurring stories that they believe are a little closer to the truth about what happened, though. When describing their son, they use the words loyal, caring, and fun-loving. Family recalls Micah's love for football and the debate and forensics teams. After a year of college at Harding University, he joined the Navy, but was eventually discharged because of recurring issues with growths in his throat. Back in Bakersfield, he started his own family and began a successful career in banking. He started out as a teller, but trained and trained and got licenses to be a broker, financial advisor, and that was 99% of his life. But towards the end of his life, things took a turn. The last two years of his life, he was just absolutely not the same person. His family said he had changed dramatically. His dad, Lance Holsenbake, says after going through a rocky separation, he believes his son became addicted to pain medication he was prescribed after several surgeries on his throat, and things just went downhill from there. His dad says the same as his mom, that he was very afraid for his life. But his dad also goes on to say that he was involved in some things that at first he didn't know what they were. And Mike had never misbehaved before. So when he told his dad, I'm afraid of this guy and this guy is in this group or whatever, his father thought he was paranoid. He always thought someone was following us in the car. So, you know, his father just chalked it up again to he's just being paranoid. And... His father said he didn't really know how much of it was real or how much of it was just exaggerated in his mind by any kind of drug use he may have been using at the time. Micah also confided something else in his father at the time, and his father had a hard time believing in this. He told his dad, I'm putting together guns. I'm going here and putting together guns for these particular people. And of course, you know, at this time, his dad said he's thinking, no, you're not. But he wishes he would have taken him more seriously. While Lance wasn't convinced his banker's son could have taken such a drastic career turn, he did have some stern words for Micah after hearing about the gun manufacturing. He said, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, why is he saying this? Because it doesn't make sense. And then I said, wait, why are you doing that? Just stop. Just get out of there. If you're afraid of this, just stop. And he said that his son told him, I can't do that. 
I can't do that. He was afraid these people would hurt his family. By late March 2018, Micah was seen for the last time in East Bakersfield. Micah was mixed up for the first time in his life in things that were illegal. He's a grown man. He had his own family. You know, even though he was separated from his family at the time, it's logical for police to think, yeah, he got out of town and he's hiding when he was reported missing. But his family instantly felt otherwise. They then took it upon themselves to start investigating. Micah's family did say that one source told them to find a girl named Bailey Parent. If they found her, they'd be able to find out more about what happened to Micah. The problem is a Bailey Parent doesn't exist. Yeah, but... But they didn't know was that Bailey Parent is actually Bailey Despot. Well, that's what I'm sitting here thinking that they they are... <laughs> I guess it's um all the time your dad spent watching... um. Oh my gosh, what was the drug movie? He, drug Breaking drugs? Bad? Yes, Breaking Bad. It almost sounds like a real-life Breaking Bad. He has military background. So, I mean, because that's one of the things they teach you in boot camp is how to assemble your guns, clean your guns, you know, take care of your weapons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're taught that very early in every branch. So even though he was in the Navy, he would have been taught that. So you put that together... Then the prescription medications that led to some little drug addictions, you know, or need. That led to some people finding out he yeah. knew a lot of useful information. Yeah. And, you know, the drug stuff's expensive. And that's how it all gets built. Then you you become what they deem as a threat or... Someone who knows too much. Yeah. Because you can put a finger on them. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. It's, it's starting to piece together a little here. And we're only on the first person. A week later, James Kolstad was shot and killed. Kolstad died after being shot in a southwest Bakersfield neighborhood around 1.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Bakersfield police responded to the call for a car crash on Cobble Mountain Road near Sandstone Lane. There, officers found a man behind the wheel of a car suffering from a gunshot wound. Bakersfield Police Department said he died from his injuries. Although James's mom knows what happened to her son, what her son's fate was, she still doesn't know why her son was killed or who did this to her son. So, for James's mom, answers are just as important to her as they are to Micah's mom, even though Micah's mom has more questions and unanswered thoughts and everything. And James's mom has her son, has laid her son to rest, but at the same time, she's got to be sitting here wondering, Mm -hmm. is it connected? Yeah, definitely so. And what James's mom knows, let's try to piece that together with what the other moms suspect or what the other moms are thinking. You know, you you can build on, okay, this is what I know. That's exactly what these women did. Mm -hmm. They they handled it so smart. Well, we've we've all seen enough of these crime TV shows and crime broadcasts and watched things that police announce on news broadcasts to say, okay, this is what they do in this case. Let's start putting some pieces together Mm -hmm. ourselves. These are our babies. Yeah. Then came the disappearance of Bailey Despot. It was spring 2017 that her brief marriage ended. That's when her family says Bailey began hanging out with a new crowd and doing drugs. That same year in July, she got arrested for the first time outside of Micah Holsenbeck's home for drunk and disorderly conduct. 
but ultimately the charge was dismissed. Now, Bailey's sister, Caitlin, was actually a friend of Micah's and had no idea that the two knew each other. When Caitlin met Micah, he was working as a banker living a clean life. She thinks Micah crossed paths with her little sister in the Rosedale drug scene just as Caitlin began to lose touch with him. Bailey hanging out with Micah wasn't a concern. In fact, Bailey's mother actually believes Micah tried to help Bailey get out of a new relationship Bailey said was abusive. Ultimately, in 2017, Bailey was granted a domestic violence restraining order against her boyfriend. She was around a lot of bad people in that relationship, and 20 days after filing the restraining order, Jane Parent says her daughter reported that she was gang raped at an apartment complex after she was given a drugged drink. Her mother says the sexual assault had a huge effect on her daughter and she worked hard to get Bailey help from counseling. But things went from bad to worse as summer 2017 turned into fall. Family members recall it was almost every night there was somebody there to pick her up or there'd be multiple cars there to pick her up and she'd be gone for two, three, four days come back and tell us all these horrific stories or she called him crying. She didn't know where she was, but she needed to get picked up. Her sister, Caitlin, recalled another horrifying incident. One night, Bailey had called her mom and her mom was on the phone saying, you know, I've got to go get Bailey and asking Bailey where she was. And when they found out where Bailey was, they kept her on the phone and went and got her. When they got to her, she had none of her belongings and no shoes. Her sister says she wants to say it was a couple nights after that there were two vehicles that came to pick her up and they could tell by the look on her face that she didn't want to go, but if she didn't go, we didn't know what would happen. Caitlin says that she told her mom, she's 18, 19 years old, we can't stop her. By November 2017, everything going on with Bailey had become just too much for her older sister. Her sister planned a two-week getaway to Texas and ended up deciding not to come back to Bakersfield. Caitlin said that right before she left, she told Bailey, looking her right in the eyes, and said, you're going to end up mouthing off to the wrong person. The people you're around, they're not your friends. They don't care about you. They're never going to care about you. You're going to end up dead or go missing. And that was the last thing I ever said to her. That's hard to live with. Even though it was the truth, even though she needed to hear it, maybe it would do some good. That's a hard thing to live with. Yeah, it would definitely be a very, very hard thing to live with. Yeah. A couple weeks later, Bailey was in trouble again. This time, she was with a new boyfriend twice her age. According to police reports in December 2017, the pair was pulled over when an officer said he saw a gun in the center console of the car. Police said a subsequent search discovered four loaded guns, including an AR-15 style rifle and a 9mm rifle. Officers wrote in the reports that neither high-powered weapon had any identifying marks. Neither Bailey nor her boyfriend, Matthew Queen, said a word to the cops. Matthew Queen was already a previously convicted felon and was prohibited from owning a firearm or ammunition and charged with several new felonies in a case that's still pending. Bailey took a deal with prosecutors pleading no contest to misdemeanor charges of carrying a loaded firearm and carrying a concealed weapon in a vehicle. For her plea, she received a reduced sentence of three years of probation. All that, and then she actually, by accounts of her family, ends up moving in with Matthew Queen. 
And the family says that contact with her became much less consistent after this. But in late April 2018, a month after Micah Holsenbeck went missing, suddenly no one could get a hold of Bailey. Her family instantly knew something horrible had happened. Caitlin says she heard about Micah going missing and then Bailey and she just knew they were connected. Bailey's sister also mentioned that while she didn't know James Colstad personally, she knew of his ties between him, Micah, and Bailey. She says early on she encouraged her mother to connect the dots. Bailey was 20 at the time of her disappearance and her boyfriend was more than twice her age. Queen at the time hadn't responded to any requests for comment, but he had made a lengthy Facebook post saying he believes Despot ran away and that her mother is set on making him look like the bad guy. He also confirms he too knew Micah Holstenbeck and law enforcement treated the cases separately until the victim's mothers realized they all three knew each other. The mothers then labeled the victims the Bakersfield Three and urged detectives to investigate possible connections. It's a haunting mystery that seems to grow more complex and dark by the day. The mothers of the three victims joined together in their grief to search for answers. They've created a Facebook page, hung posters, and done tons of more work with investigators. The victims all three knew each other, raising the question, are there three mysteries or just one? Can the connections be just coincidence? I think not. <laughs> no. Nope. Colstad's mother, Diane Byrne, knew that Micah and James were friends, so she reached out to Cheryl, Micah's mother, when her son died. And when the flyers began circulating around town for Bailey, Micah's mom recognized Bailey as a friend of her missing son, Micah. So she reached out to Bailey's mom and told her, you know, it might be the club that you never want to be in, but it's made each of us stronger. And together, these three moms have done a lot to push their kids' cases forward. That's wonderful. Somebody's got to, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, who's going to fight for your child but you? Exactly. While out at Burns Vista Lake on July 28th of 2018, a child found a human leg. Officials have sent the leg out for DNA testing, hoping to find who it belongs to as it was thought to belong to Bailey Despot. After extensive testing, it was officially ruled out as belonging to Bailey Despot. Her own mother even spoke out and said that the leg found was not that of her daughter's. But in late August of 2018, another gruesome discovery was found in the Kern River. A group of teenagers swimming in the river just east of Hart Park discovered a duffel bag previously weighed down with rocks containing what was left of a decaying forearm and hand. The Kern County Sheriff's Office believes it had been in the river for quite some time. Though the bag has been at the bottom of the river, it was moving with the current, so investigators say it could have been dropped anywhere upstream. The arm was sent off for DNA testing and came back as that belonging to Micah Holsenbeck. That That's... That's a little devastating as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I can't imagine finding part of my child. Yeah. It's, that's horrible. Bailey and Micah have been missing for well over a year now. However, Micah's case is now considered a homicide because of the discovery of his severed arm in the Kern River. Another big headline with this case appeared in mid-July 2019, and it had to do with none other than Matthew Queen. Yeah, you know, there was something in my head going, this old boyfriend, I think he's got a little uh, connection in this thing. Yeah. 
I'm not surprised that all of his name came back up. The 40-something-year-old man who was dating 20-year-old Bailey Despot at the time of her disappearance, police were dispatched to the 2900th block of Buck Owens Boulevard to follow up on an ongoing kidnapping investigation, according to the Bakersfield Police Department. Officers attempted to talk to Queen, who was wanted for obstructing a kidnapping investigation, though police haven't said whether Queen's arrest is related to Despot's disappearance. Matthew Queen fled the area on foot after officers attempted to speak to him. During a pursuit, Queen ran into the Kern River between Beach and Yokuts Parks, where he held onto a concrete pillar under a bridge. Officers decided not to pursue Queen into the river because of its current and other hazardous conditions. Additional resources were called to the scene, including a negotiating team. Police said Queen refused to surrender, causing the standoff. Emergency officials were coordinating a possible river rescue when Queen finally surrendered and walked out of the river around 5.30 p.m. He was then taken to Bakersfield PD for investigation. Police reports obtained by 17 News, which you can find linked in the show notes, talked about Matthew Queen being charged for forcing a woman into an orchard at gunpoint and threatening to kill her. And it also included details regarding missing woman Bailey Despot. In an interview with the police, the woman who was allegedly held at gunpoint by Matthew Queen talked about the strange living situation at at the defendant's home. Before Bailey Despot, Queen's then-girlfriend, went missing in April of 2018, Despot was living at his Rosedale home along with Queen's wife and Queen's mother. She said Despot and the wife avoided each other for obvious reasons. The documents also go into detail about issues Queen had with an unnamed man who appears to be Micah Holsenbeck, who is also missing and presumed dead. That man owed Queen money, the woman said, and Queen suspected that he may have stolen a gun from him. Additionally, the woman whom Queen is accused of bringing to the orchard at gunpoint wasn't alone. The documents say a man whose name is redacted but appears to be Holsenbeck was also there and managed to flee. The woman told detectives Holson Bake had been worried Queen was going to kill him and he ended up getting arrested after running from the orchard. The woman said Queen held an AR-15 to her head in an orchard and questioned her about Despot being faithful to him, according to the documents, and he eventually let her go. According to documents, as she was leaving, she saw Queen pull a gun on Despot. Law enforcement has not named Queen a suspect in the disappearance of Despot or Holson Bake. He has never been convicted of a crime in Kern County, but has been charged in several separate cases since the two went missing. Bailey's mother, Jane Parent, spoke with 23ABC about Queen's recent arrest, saying she's glad he's off the streets and he shouldn't be out. She also went on to say that she hopes he stays in jail. She also says she feels like he has a lot of answers for the Bakersfield 3 case. Bailey's mother goes on to say that she didn't like Queen from the start, and honestly, moms always know. Bakersfield police say that they are still investigating Despot's disappearance as well as the homicide cases of both Micah and James. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Despot or know who killed Holson Baker Colstad, call Secret Witness at 322-4040. The following is my interview with two of the three moms of the Bakersfield Three. I will be speaking in this interview with the mother of James Colstad and the mother of Bailey Despot. 
I just want to say thank you to Miss Jane and Miss Di for taking the time and talking to me. And I really hope we can get your babies some justice. Any background noise or anything you may hear is because this interview was recorded via a phone call. That might be why the audio gets a little shaky at times. Regardless, here's my interview with Miss Jane and Miss Di. Of course, I want to say, you know, welcome, Miss Jane and Miss Diane, and thank you for meeting with me. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. I go by Di. Thank you, Miss Di. Uh huh. You're welcome. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Just, you know, same thing as. Same thing as yesterday and the day before for the last two years, but a different day. So Yeah. What is the Rosedale drug scene like when people refer to that? What are they referring to? Well, it's not like you wouldn't, like most people say, ooh, a drug scene. Like it must be like, um, you know, on the bad side of town or, you know, a lot of homeless people and gang members and stuff like that are. But over here in Rosedale, we have a different type of game. So over here, it's a little bit different. Um, we're not the rich side of town by no means, but that's what people refer to the Northwest, um, Southwest, Rosedale areas, um, because I'm not rich. But you would, it's people selling drugs out of these big fancy, you know, houses that you wouldn't think they were and they're manufacturing guns, illegal guns and sex trafficking going on. And it's like what Ms. Jane was saying, when you hear drug scene, you don't think of that. You think like the wrong side of town, run down dilapidated houses. You don't think right. of these very nice houses and having things cloaked behind the exterior of a very nice neighborhood. That's definitely not what I was picturing in my mind. Yeah, it's not because, you know, I didn't really know about it until Bailey went um, missing and then I found all this stuff out and it's like a big um, circle of activity, criminal activity over here that hopefully we've made people aware of. A huge eye-opener for sure when you when we both learned after trying to connect the dots for our kids you know, the adult scene that is um, in these nice neighborhoods. Definitely. I was wondering what the similarities were that kind of made you connect the dots, like as you looked through things and did your own investigative things, like what what were the similarities that kept popping up? Places, people, places yeah. and people. Places, people, things, that's how... Um, the document with the circle of friends came about because um, you have like timelines and you know who's mm -hmm. connected to this and it's like a big web you know and who's the common interest people in it. Um, so that's how we tied it all together. When Micah was last seen, does anybody know what he was doing? Was he just running errands out about? The time his mother last saw him or the supposed person who said they saw him? The only one I knew about was the supposed person who said they saw him, like, somewhere out in town. Yeah, that would be over on the north east side of town across from KMC um, Hospital. 
which is over in the heart of Druggy neighborhood. Okay. Not uh, too far from where his mother dropped him and a friend off. What, a couple days before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right down the street from uh, the Druggy place he was dropped off at. But I don't I don't know if that sighting's ever been confirmed. So. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Micah had mentioned to his family that he was nervous someone would harm him. And he also mentioned, you know, some work he was doing for people. But did he ever give any kind of names or reasons for being afraid? Uh, Probably that they would kill him. I get, you know, you see too much, you hear too much, you can't get out, you know. He was afraid for himself and his family and parents. That makes sense. Ms. Dye, I want to talk to you about James. Can you tell us a little bit more about him as a person and his case? Because when I looked up his case, I couldn't really find more than just the bare minimum. Well, the reason for that is not to compromise his case when it goes to trial. Okay. The less things that are out there sometimes is better. Um, James was six foot five, very charismatic. Um, he would walk in the room and the room would just light up. He had a smile that was infectious. Um, he loved people. Um, it didn't matter what color you were, where you came from, whether you were rich or poor. James just loved everybody. He was a father, um, two beautiful daughters, an entrepreneur, um, had two products with patents, one in the action sports industry, some would say he worked to surf. <laughs> he loved surfing. <laughs> and everyone that found out that James was murdered was in shock that anybody would want to murder James. Yeah, I mean, from what you described, he sounds like the coolest dad ever. <laughs> he um, he had his struggles like all of us. He was very much into working out and health, eating right, taking vitamins, um, but just kind of went down a... Uh, a slippery slope from getting hit by a car and having to have surgery on his wrist. In the last days that we, you know, he was living with me, um, he wished more than ever that he would not have had that happen to him because had he have known how addictive opiates are, he would have never taken his first opiate. So his surgery was the first time he had ever had pain medication like that? Pretty much, yes. He just okay. he wasn't into, you know, taking taking things. He would rather do something healthy. And he had a lot yeah. of plates and stuff in his hand, correct? It wasn't just like a little surgery. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Like wow. A on the hand almost. Yeah, on the inside, all the pins and things, because it, it shattered his wrist and the, and the top of his hand. Oh, my gosh. But, um, yeah, it just... Um, Everybody was in shock that somebody would want to kill him. Yeah, I mean, from what you tell me, I I would be in shock, too. Because, like I said, I mean, he sounds like the coolest dad ever. I mean, a dad that can teach you to surf, that's awesome. I've always wanted to learn to surf. I feel like had I come across him in life, he's somebody that I probably would have just connected with. We have the health and fitness stuff in common and things like that. And... He's into surfing, and I've always wanted to learn. I feel like we would have kind of clicked, and it's sad that somebody like that was taken from the world. 
surfing, and then the second thing was golf. He loved to golf. <laughs> so you would have had Yeah, that's probably where we would not have clicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He even taught his daughter how to golf, his oldest one. So, Miss Dye, if I can, do you mind telling me how James's daughters dealt with this? Are they, how are they? My thing is, I, I worry for the families. I care for the families as a whole, and I hope that they are handling this best they can. Well, there's um, James's oldest daughter was a month and a half from graduating high school oh. and going off to her first year of college. She lost her mom when she was a year old. Oh, my gosh. So it was very devastating. Um, and after first year of college, she had to um, take take a break. It was a real struggle for her. She's, you know, one of those overachievers with, you know, A's and her not being able to focus. She's um, taken a different direction this last year, the second year after, after his death. The youngest one, she... Fortunately, um, has the support of her mother, a different, you know, they're from different mothers mm-hmm. and a stepdad. Um, so her, you know, she feels the loss too, but it's a different because she still has the comfort of, of a natural parent alive that the oldest daughter, my oldest granddaughter doesn't have. That's so terrible. My heart out to them. No, no child should have to deal with that. Although you know your son's fate and how dealing with that has it been different than as opposed to like what Miss Jane's going through as she doesn't know where Bailey is, can you kind of explain that to me? Well, Jane, Cheryl are of course in a different spot. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we all three are in a different spot. I I know that James is dead, and I know that he was shot, and I know that he was you know, murdered, mm-hmm. where Cheryl knows now that Micah is deceased and that his arm was severed. And she has all these different scenarios going through her mind that she deals with on a daily basis. Was it just his arm? Was he alive when his arm was taken off? You know, all these different things. Is he in pieces? And then, of course, Jane is in a completely different place. She doesn't know if Bailey is still alive or was she, you know, is she being held captive somewhere and can't get out? Is she deceased? Does she have the same fate that James had? Was she shot? Was, does she have the same fate that Micah had where she lost her arm? And then, of course, all those things go in. So there, we're all in a different place. When James was younger, he, he went missing for a short period of time. And just that frantic feeling is unmeasured. It's so hard to describe unless your child is missing and you have the police at your house and you're looking for them. You know, James ended up being found. He was long and lanky, and he had fallen asleep in between the bed and the and the wall. <laughs> and the police didn't <laughs> see him, and I didn't see him. But for that hour where we were frantic everything goes through your mind and for someone to have to deal with this like jane for two years to me is unimaginable like i you know um i don't know how she does it 
you know, I help her, I help Cheryl, we help each other. Um, I'm very much connected to both Bailey and Micah, because for me, it's not just one child, it's, it's three children. And even though they're adults, they're still children in the eyes of their mom and a mom. Definitely. I mean, just hearing hearing you describe these worries and fears and thoughts that are running through everybody's mind about their children as a mom with a three-year-old child, I can only imagine like my eyes are welling up with tears as you're describing this to me because my heart is just ripping into pieces for you guys. And I know all we can do is search and tell the story, but it's just such a helpless feeling when all you want to do is help that person. You want to help ease their pain, help find their loved one. You know, there's that, and there's also, um, you know, like, we I can't even count on both hands the times that the local community has contacted us when there have been human remains found in Kern County. They seem to know exactly how to get a hold of us. And families or even like with Cheryl and Jane waiting for the results from the DNA of the leg and the arm found, you know, it ended up being Micah's arm. But it's needless that people should have to wait months and months and months when we do have technology like Andy, the company out of Colorado, that's used by the government that can positively identify remains within two hours. And to make people wait months and months and months. Yeah, it's it's beyond my comprehension of making a family go through that. You know, so here we had Jane and and Cheryl, you know, and we're finding remains right and left out in the desert, up in Ridgecrest, Kern County, Boyledale recently. Um, mm-hmm. Still don't know. You know. I, I just spoke to the coroner the other day. They still don't know if it's a male or female. The remains that were found, I think it was March 22nd or something like that, mm-hmm. um, somewhere around there. I did a Facebook Live about it, and it's, but, and I asked accordingly, doesn't the age crime lab have rapid DNA yet? And they said, no, they really want to get it. So hopefully that's something we can help work on and, you know, keep telling people we got to get it, we got to get it. Definitely. Miss Jane, can you tell me a little bit about Bailey as a person, like what she was like? Um, Bailey, so she was only 20 when she graduated, so her life was just beginning, and she had all these things she wanted to do. But growing up through you know, elementary school, junior high, high school, you know, everybody loved her. You know, it sounds like every, you know, that. All of her friends, she had the greatest laugh. Um, You know, she loved animals. She did FFA. She raised rabbits and pigs. and um, So she always was very responsible and kind of made her own money. Um, After high school, she had a couple of jobs. And then she got married. I think that was in 2016. Yeah, because that didn't last long because of the abuse mentally and physically going on in there. In 2000, early 2017, she left, and that's when her slippery slope started. It was 2017, probably around March. 
Um, but before that, Bailey was just so happy. Life is a party. She wanted to help everybody. And, um, she was funny and grouchy. And, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's hard for me to talk about it and remember because I'm not at that spot yet to where I can go back and remember I don't even go back and look at photo albums. So the only pictures I see of Bailey are the ones that I have out in the public for the news media. Um, my therapist says it's a process, you know, grief that I'm, it's my brain protecting me. That's why it won't let me do this stuff. No, and that makes total sense. Which I had never heard of that before, but I'm finding out all these different ways how your brain protects you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you think you're going crazy, but you're not. It's just your brain, you know, telling you you need to slow down or don't do that or so. Yeah, it's it's really amazing what our bodies can tell us when we listen to them. That's for sure. Yeah, but, you know, everybody loved Bailey. She was so funny and had the greatest laugh, and I missed her very much. And I hope I get to see her again one day and bring her home. So can you tell me a little bit about what was going on with her situation when she was missing? Bailey had started hanging around the wrong crowd of people. These were older people, you know, who give young girls drugs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's how it started with the fentanyl and the drugs and being in these drug houses and being taken advantage of and, all this other stuff, I don't know the whole stories um, because I don't know a lot of it. I just know what I saw firsthand, but I could imagine what was happening um, to her in these places. I do know Bailey was bored in August of 2017 to a house or an apartment. It was an apartment with a swimming pool where she was drugged and sexually assaulted. Um, yeah, and they have the DNA results. I don't know, but there were three, three DNAs. Um, and then in that September of 2017, Bailey overdosed on drugs. She was out partying with people I don't know, you know, and some mom from Facebook, you know, tried to call me on Facebook Messenger. And, you know, I woke up and please call me, you know, son Bailey got taken by ambulance. And I didn't get the message for two hours later, you know, I would have been at the hospital with her. So Bailey said, Mom, I didn't mean to overdose. I was just trying to forget, you know, the sexual assault because she had just started counseling and getting on um, her medication through behavior health care and um, and after her overdose, it's like she just wasn't the same. It was her brain was different, which I've heard that that can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't come back the same. And then about a month after that, she met Matt Queen. And that's the rest of the story. I don't know. And I need to figure out what happened to her and bring her home. Did and, Matthew know Micah or James? Yes. Did he really have Bailey living with him and his mother and his wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there to see Bailey a couple times. I never went inside. Yeah, it was just a few days after he bailed her out of jail, after I told him not to. And he came when I was at work. And 
brought Bailey and like moved most of her stuff over there because he was going to help her and she was going to, you know, live with them. So it was his wife. They weren't divorced at the time. His two teenage sons, I believe, are from her previous marriage. And then they have a little boy who's five or was five. He's probably seven now in two years, which is their common child. And she lived there. And shortly after Matt Queen's 20, maybe 27th or 26, 2018 arrest, Bailey's best friend, Sarah Wiedemeyer, who had been involved in the whole time before, she moved in with Matt Queen and got pregnant. And the wife was still there. I believe his wife moved out, I believe it was in September or October. Um, so I've always thought she has to know what kind of mother would let, you know, a man do that with 20-year-old girls yeah, in front of her boys, you know, unless he put guns to their heads too, you know, to make them comply. I have no idea. I imagine all these scenarios. But once Bailey met Matt Queen, she was terrified. I could tell she was scared and it got to where she couldn't hardly call me or come over because he had to keep a tight rein on her. And Micah was trying to get her away from there because Micah knew him. This is for both of you guys. Uh, you know, everyone wants to ask you questions, right? I, but I want to know if you have any questions aside from, of course, wanting to know where or what happened to your children. What questions do you have that are remaining about everything that's gone on? Well, I want to know how come people are so afraid to talk. I mean, is it like maybe Matt Queen's about, you know, maybe he was in charge of it or who's in charge, you know, this big crime circle of gun manufacturing drugs and sex and young girls. So that's, that's one thing I want to know. Plus, how come the killers are still walking the street? Several people we know have been arrested and let out of jail many times, which shouldn't happen. Oh, wait, I know, because criminals have more rights than victims. We're in California. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. I believe James was set up, and so my question is, why? Yeah, why was he set up? Why was Bailey in the car with Matt Queen that night, you know? And kind of from there, after that arrest in 2017, Matt Queen, when Bailey was with him, everything kind of, something triggered something in motion to cause all this to happen. And I want to know what that was. What did they see or know? My my feeling is if they knew something or saw something, because both Micah and James were the kind of guys that would put an end to something. James would have protected Bailey like, you know, she was only two years or two and a half years older than his oldest daughter. You know, he would protect her just like Micah. You know, Micah and James were not bad guys. They were the good guys that would help people. And they were probably just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the same with Bailey. Mm -hmm. I hope we can, through all of this, bring them justice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with me. And I know this is a difficult thing to talk about. 
Yeah. And I always have to close with Mama Jane signing off. Mama loves you, Bailey. Megan, thank you. Thank you, Miss Jane. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at If I Go Missing Podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel Pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.